Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hello, welcome once again, Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Podcast and small talk by two Conan writers named Mike Sweeney and Jesse Caskell. Actually, his name is William Michael Sweeney, but he's always gone by his middle name. How have you been, Sweeney? I've been okay. I just changed sweatpants. I have two pairs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have two pairs that you rotate throughout the week. Yes, and and that makes me feel good about myself. Well, if you turn them inside out, you will have four pairs. What a life hack. (laughs) What have you been up to? You know, I'm learning to sew. It's a lot of trial and error. Uh And I made a real bonehead novice move the other day. Because the first thing you're supposed to do when you start is you wash the fabric first. Because otherwise you're working with fabric that's not going to be its final size. And I forgot to do that. And so then (gasps) I made a whole garment and put it in the wash. And then it shrank up. And now it's child size. What was it? A dress or a... No, this was just a shirt. It was like... Probably eight hours of work. (laughs) That seems really fast for a a shirt seems really hard to me. Oh, I didn't do buttons or anything. It was just a pullover. Buttons are really hard. Oh, well, then yeah, eight hours. (laughs) No buttons. You just reminded me of that. It is an Inside Conan podcast. We used to have someone on the staff who had a button phobia. What? This person was terrified. No. I'm not kidding. And I thought it was a joke. And they never wore anything garments with buttons on them. And I got them as a secret Santa once, one year. And so I made, I went out and I bought $50 worth of (laughs) shirt buttons. And I made a mosaic that just said love. Oh, no. And and gave gave it to him. And and you know what? He got mad at me. Yeah. That's really triggering. But I worked really hard on that. (laughs) I'm sorry I'm laughing. I've just honestly never heard that that could be a phobia. I had never heard of it either. I wanted to find out for myself. So I was there when he tore off the gift wrapping. And he's just like, you asshole. (laughs) Oh, my God. We hire the weirdest people. I love it. Well, I think that this is the perfect segue into today's guest. (laughs) Okay. We have a great guest today. We were very excited about today's guest. He's... He loves buttons. He does love buttons. He actually was wearing a jumpsuit when we interviewed him. He was. And it looked great. Yes. He's everywhere. He's in so many great shows. 
either starring or cameos. I know. He only picks good projects, I think, too. I, yeah, or yeah, just... yeah. Let's never name who this person is. <laughs> it's Fred Armisen. It's Fred Armisen. Yes. Here's our chat with Fred. How much are you guys working on the new version of the show? The Largo version? I mean, we're, we're writing it. <laughs> so a lot. Yeah, but we're not we're not there at all. Mm. There's a lot of writing, but then there's a lot of ad libbing. Like yesterday, Andy was on the show for the first time in, no, in the actual that. space. Yeah, and so you know, a lot of that was was ad libbing. But you know, we give him some general ideas, and then he says, "I'm not going to do them." <laughs> right? But, <laughs> exactly. It looks good. I'm really enjoying it. Like it's pretty. I also I love Largo. Yeah, I was going to ask you oh, about your like, history with Largo. It's kind of the only place I really started doing stand-up. I performed in other places, but then a little here and there, my stand-up used to be like doing characters and stuff. Right. But I moved to LA in 2000 and I had friends tell me, oh, you should go to Largo. That's when it was on Fairfax. And as soon as I went there, that's where I, that's where I wanted, I wanted to be a part of that. I, I didn't tour around the country as a stand-up comedian. Right. No, really no comedy clubs, a few little variety shows and stuff, but- Basically, Largo was the place that I, I wanted to be a part of. And I remember also being alone. Like, I just went and I would just sort of stand at the back and everyone knew each other. And it was like yeah. um, Jimmy Pardo. Yeah. Your friend. He was there. And Paul F. Tompkins, Karen Kilgariff, Mary Lynn Rice. I should go through the whole list of everything. Sure, sure. <laughs> Mary Lynn Rice. Yeah. Was everyone you worked with then successful? <laughs> yeah, it's true. But in, in a way, yes. Because whenever I think back to it, Everyone I think of is doing something now. So Mark Marin, Blank Apache, and they all seem right. to have made their way and, and made a name for themselves. I guess the failures all just probably killed themselves. So, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Or killed each other. Yeah. So when you first showed up at, at that Largo back in Fairfax, was it intimidating at all just because you felt like you were entering this world where everyone's kind of a, a click or did that fall away very quickly? It, it fell away because I was... I had spent the better part of um, 10 years playing in a band in Chicago. Right. So everything seemed to be a delight to me. Everything was like, whoa, right. I'm on stage without my drums. I'm on stage without a band. <laughs> I don't have to lug equipment around. <laughs> and also I was alone. So I, yeah. I kind of didn't have anyone to impress, which right. I kind of liked. And I think I was... 32 or 34 or something. There was something about it where I felt like I, I had already done so much that I'd wanted to do. So mm -hmm. it, it, I really felt like I had nothing to lose. Yeah. And also probably having been in a band that this was almost like entering a parallel universe, maybe like it felt familiar yes. in certain ways. Largo is a very musical place anyway. I remember they would have musical yeah. guests. There right. would be uh, acts in between and uh, people, someone would play a song at the end. So it's felt Something felt very musician-y about it. Right, right. Anyway. Right. And, and, and the relationship continued. I, I still get to perform there, you know, I, when they were doing shows. And right. I love going there to see shows. There's one time after September 11th, I remember I went to go see a show and Pat Oswalt performed. And I he just changed my mood about September 11th. Oh, and for our listeners, 
a horrible time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean to like name drop events, but uh, it was a really uh, shocking uh, time in history. We actually always end up talking about September 11th on this podcast for yes. some reason, but I think this is the fastest we've ever gotten there. So <laughs> yes. We broke a record. <laughs> you get a t-shirt. Not to get us off of September 11th, but <laughs> um, we'll, we'll come back to it. We'll come back. Fred, you're, this is interesting because I think a lot of stand-up comics want to be rock stars, but you kind of took the opposite track. You started as a musician and then you went into stand-up. Was stand-up always something you wanted to do, but it just took you a while to get there or? No, it was something, I definitely wanted to be something. I don't know what it's called, but I wanted to be that person who was like a musician, but then is also entertaining on talk shows. There was something about like when David Byrne was on Letterman, he sat down, he had an interview and I was like, what's that person? That cool hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a weird element to it, you know, that I really liked. John Waters was in that zone. Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. Uh So they're like these people that like, I just was like, what is that? So even when I was in a band, I remember I would talk on the microphone a lot. I was a, a drummer. I am a drummer. So even the instrument is very, um, you know, pay attention to me. Right. You know, very loud, very <laughs> symbols very and stuff. Yeah. It's visual and it commands attention. Yeah. You're sort of, it's almost like it's, it's regal and you're seated. Right. Right. Were your other band members cool with you talking on the mic or were they like, man, no, no, no. you gotta be cool. <laughs> no. And they were patient with me because they right. never said shut up, but I could tell they weren't like, this is awesome that you've decided, (laughs) but they were fine. They were okay. You know, well, when the shows were going on for four hours, they probably (laughs) wanted to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, okay, you know, we we're on stage too, by the way, you know, that kind of thing. you know, it's just something that like over time sort of meshed into each other in, in a really fortunate way. I'm glad it did. When I did characters and stuff, sometimes they'd have an instrument and then on Various shows, I've always gotten to play drums or or guitar or something. Yeah. Well, so you came to L.A. in 2000 and started doing stand-up at this alternative comedy space, Largo. And then I believe you did stand-up on Conan that same year. So that... Oh, that that's incredibly fast. Really fast. Can can you tell us how, and this is before you... This is before SNL. Exactly. Yeah. So this might be 2000, 2001. It was really... Zach Galifianakis, who sort of got me, I, I ended up on some shows with him uh-huh. and I think he brought me to Lisa Line Gang and somewhere in there, oh, she was booking Largo and somewhere in there, Paula Davis was around and she got me booked on Conan. And so we went around New York. We had to do some um, like nightclub shows, you know, to, to right. get the act right. Oh, the act was a self-defense expert. Right. It's, it's hilarious. I, who, I just watched that. It's so yeah. great. Terrible fake mustache, really yes. greasy mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Which at the time I thought was a good mustache. I was like, Hey, this is pretty good. <laughs> that sets on um, the team Coco website. So yeah, it was, people can watch it. It's really fun. Hilarious. It was so meaningful to me <clears throat> because I remember when I went out on stage, that was like the first time I've ever had like, you know, a camera with the red light over it. Right. You know, like facing me. And I remember thinking, oh, I love this. Like it felt really like, oh, this is this is going to be fun. So you weren't nervous at all. Yeah. 
it was another thing of <laughs> uh, it was another thing of I've got nothing to lose. You know, yeah. it was a character. You know, the character was a, a self defense expert who gives bad advice. Right. So yeah. Even if nobody laughs, I, I didn't. I didn't feel that pressure of like, hey, uh, I'm a funny guy. It was like, can this be convincing as something weird? As so many things on Conan were. I really, really watched that show all the time. So it felt like it was in the tradition of all that stuff. Yeah, that's a perfect fit. It was seamless. It was per- it <laughs> fit in perfectly. So I love that you weren't the red light because some people, man, I've heard people say that when that red light comes on the first few times, it just kind of flips them out. But but for oh, you, it was a very calming effect. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Yes, he falls asleep with a red light over him. Yeah, yeah, it's just like facing (laughs) Am I on camera? Okay, good night. (laughs) I think it's also that like, oh my God, this is a pretentious thing to say. There's something so honest about a red light. It's not like hidden cameras and stuff. It's just like, hey, it is now time to begin. Right. (laughs) So Paula Davis, yeah, she- Paula Davis, our talent booker. Still there. And every time I see her- That's great. Yeah, whenever you see her, it must be like, ah, you introduced me to the red light. She opened the door. She was like, here's the door, the official door to network TV. I remember you being in a sketch. Maybe you were on SNL already. I'm not sure. I don't know if you remember this, but I saw you do this character and I was laughing so hard. You played an audio engineer on the show and you sat in the back of the house. Do you remember that at all? I did that on your show. I was in the back of the house. I was playing like a sound guy. Right. And now that I look back, I'm a little bit like, Darn it. Like, why did I feel the need to do a bit all the time? Because I would see like Will Ferrell do a bit. And now I'm like, I'm a little annoyed at myself. I'm like, buddy, I wish I would have just sat there and just done an interview. It's like my whatever, first or second time on Conan. I'm like, right, right. Relax, relax. I, I, there's a, there's a lot of that uh, in the early days of like not knowing that it's okay to like be yourself a little bit. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, so you were a guest and you were interacting with a pre-tape of yourself up yeah. in the booth? Thinking like I was as important as Will Ferrell. Like when he goes on, he does a whole bit. I'm like, well, yeah, because, you know, he had enough experience to have done it plenty. Right, right. That is probably that template of you think, oh, well, that's how you do it. You've got to come. You've got to come with material. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But over the years, I learned... All they want you to do is just sit there and just be nice. Yeah, just you know? sit there and look hot. <laughs> yeah, look, <laughs> sit there and look hot. Yeah. That's it. That's all they want. But, you know, when I die, that's the main lesson of life. <laughs> <laughs> he sat there and looked hot. That's right. If I die. If I die. If you, yes. Going back to 2000, how... Because what, what year did you end up uh, getting cast on SNL? And how, 2002. Wow. So so from that was just one thing after another of yeah. getting to do more shows. I ended up on a pilot for Bob Odenkirk, another Largo regular. From that, I all of that stuff, I got an audition at SNL. Wow. So I stayed in the NBC building. NBC was, you know, a major part of my life. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you guys were right upstairs, right downstairs. Downstairs. Two flights below. I'm always so impressed, obviously, by anyone who comes through the fulcrum of SNL. It seems like such an intense, distilled, high-pressure showbiz situation. I feel like if you're a success there, everything you do after that must seem like child's play almost. 
Yeah. But maybe you never felt pressure. You love the red light. Maybe you just couldn't wait for that live show every Saturday. Well, that part, I, I like, I mean, I loved it all. The thing that you learn or that I learned from it is it strips you of your ego, ah, which is great. So if you think you're a brilliant writer, right. the fact that it brings you back down on Monday and the way that they just rip apart your sketches, the way that, <laughs> uh, you know, where you, you walk in thinking you're such a genius <laughs> where the audience doesn't laugh. It's really good. It's sort of because it's so fast, it, mm. you just build a thick skin and you start to not treat your own work like with preciousness. Yeah. Just move on. And and I'm sure you guys are already used to it coming from your show, but it's something that I, I, I definitely learned. So it was really, really, no one explains it to you. No one says like, right. hey, buddy, I, I'm so sorry. You know, we might have to cut this part of the sketch. And <gasps> it's funny. None of that. It's just so, in a, I mean, this is a good thing. It's so cold. Right. Well, it's not personal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No one has time to to put their arm around you. There's no time to explain yeah. right. to you. I think we might have to cut it. It just doesn't. And then <laughs> when when it's been a couple of weeks ago, uh, weeks of that, then you sort of get used to it. And then I started to write a lot faster without, you know, worry. Yeah. Without right. as much self-judgment, probably. Yeah. Self-editing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really useful skill to learn because it's, I think when writers start, or just any creative people, it, we're so precious about our work and everything feels very vulnerable and personal. And the sooner you can disconnect your self-worth from your work, the better. <laughs> uh, totally. The, the better it becomes. And, and it goes the other direction too, where sometimes, you know, I, I thought I wrote something brilliant and then the audience liked it. Then I'm like, this is it. This is my new piece. And then a week goes by and everyone kind of forgot it. You know, it's all becomes kind of disposable, yeah. which is another, which is another thing that's good for you. It's like, right. it's great to get a laugh, but you know, there are more comedians, there are more shows, things right. move so fast. You, you can't just ride on that forever. It just, it lasts a, maybe a week or something, except for a couple sketches that stand the test of time. But other than that, an impression of someone who isn't even, you know, well-known anymore. So you're like, well, so what? <laughs> right, right. It's so topical. <laughs> so topical. Well, yeah. And the, the good thing is that the failures go away quickly, but then the successes also leave you quickly. Yeah. You never get to ride on that feeling of success for very long. No, little bits and pieces, which is, you know, it's, it's worth it, definitely. But I loved it. I loved every minute on that show. Yeah. Because everyone I met, everyone I worked with, all these brilliant writers. And I was thinking the other day also about like wig people, like people who put, you know, the hair people, like yeah. right. you take for granted a good wig. And then well, after I left the show, sometimes you're just in other situations where you're like, oh, no one cares like that. You know, the attention to detail of not making it right. too jokey all the time, making it look kind of real. Right. A wig and costume are so transformative, right? So I mean, important. If you put on the right thing, it's it kind of helps you get into your character. Yeah, and it's oddly easy to take for granted. You just think, oh, what a brilliant, you know, if I'm thinking of another comedian who's, you know, and you're like, oh, they're great. I can't believe how great they are. And then you forget, like, you know that there's like added visual touch of all those, the nuances of those costumes and, and wigs is like, it's a big deal. Right. Especially when you see like, when you see a crappy version. Of, right, right, right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the Party City version. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. 
Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. I think you said you were talking about Portlandia once that the costume designers were a big help with, with that show. Oh yeah. Just in terms of finding who the character would be on a low budget too. But you know, because Amanda who did the costumes for Portlandia was from Portland, mm-hmm. she was able to find costumes uh, that I never would have thought of. Yeah. In her house. <laughs> yeah, she because it was a really low budget, so she had to go to yeah. sort of like thrift stores and like smaller stores, but she found all the right stuff that looked realistic, but it had like enough of a joke to them. I'm sure the wardrobe people on SNL are amazing, and I know our we've always had amazing people. Our our current head of wardrobe, Scott Chronic, you go with to him with an idea, and he'd make everything funnier. Like he would just take the idea. And come up with wardrobe where where you'd be like, oh, wow, that's much better than anything. Oh, that's better than I even thought. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're in a rush. So you can't you thank them kind of, but then you have to <laughs> right, right, put right, it on. Right. There's no time. You guys did a sketch. I don't know if you're going to remember, but it's a long time ago where Andy was like getting into like, I don't know if it was a, stu- I, I know what it was, a student film mm-hmm. and the student film was like Andy is like Mr. Moneybags or Conan is Mr. Money. Like a very yes. like, oh. but you do remember it. I do. It's a bit that we used to do called new directors or guest directors. And it, <laughs> so it was a way to do different genres. And, yeah. and so, you know, we had a Swedish director and, uh, you know, it'd be like a Bergman film. And then um, <laughs> this was exactly what you said. We got a college student majoring in film to shoot yeah. <laughs> Uh, this opening. And so it was an over the top, you know, political commentary. And Conan was, yes, yes. Conan was like the Monopoly man. Yes, that was, the, that was throwing money around and oppressing Andy. And Andy was like, you know, talking to the man. Oh, it was so good. It was like 1997. Wow. The obsession with student films and money and like, man, <laughs> right. it's like, yeah, capitalism. Capitalism. What? Why don't we question it? <laughs> It's all made up, man. 
Yeah. People have that experience a lot when the, in their formative years, like seeing something on late night TV, I think alone in the dark and, and becoming something like, I will never forget this. Yeah. <laughs> this sketch will, you know, stay with me the rest of my life. <laughs> Some of them do that one, especially. That's so funny. Going back to Portlandia, because I have to say, Fred, it really is one of my favorite sketch shows of all time. Oh, thanks. Uh, did you guys do you was there a lot of improv in Portlandia or is it all like acting to make it look like improv? <laughs> yes and no. So like it's a weird mix. And for those of you just tuning in right now, she asked about. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you could just repeat the question before you answer. <laughs> then we we cut us out in the. Oh, right. So it's just me. Uh, So she's just asked about, she just asked about improv versus scripted. It's like, yes, we improvised a lot, but also we did a lot of improvising that ended up not getting used. And over the years, we realized we're wasting time if we keep going on crazy tangents. Yeah. So yes, there's improvisation, but over the years we started like, let's just get through the day, and yeah. great, you know, and let's get, it's great to show off how quickly you can think, but, right. but, um, yeah, Jonathan Kreisel, our director and Carrie, they, they were both good about like, we seem to not be using all these like lingering takes, right? Like having button after button after button to the yes. scene, like you only need the one button. You just need the one <laughs> and we get it. And so we got better at it. You know, uh, there'd be a, there'd be a sort of um, blueprint for how the sketch goes, and then we would make up our own lines to it. But we started to really, you know, focus them up a little bit. That's a great discipline. I mean, I, mm-hmm. don't you see movies sometimes where you're seeing their comedy movies, and you're like, oh, this scene was clearly improvised. Oh yeah. And sometimes it's like, uh, I don't know, if, I don't know if yeah, I would have put that in in the movie. I mean, I, I think people can fall in love. Yeah. With improvised scenes sometimes. And and it sounds like you guys were very yeah. disciplined. Like, <laughs> no. You can hear it, though. You can hear it in movies. And I mean, no disrespect right. to movies in general, but. <laughs> I, I'm a fan. I love them all. But you do see the scenes where you could tell that they're like enjoying themselves and having. Right. I mean, it's great. I'm glad it exists. But you can hear the language of improvisation a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The Godfather yeah. has lots of... Uh, no, 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 that's wrong. That was very scripted. Godfather 3, I'm thinking. The, oh, yes, that's that's Right, different. that one is... <laughs> they, they didn't care. At that point, he's like, ah, whatever. I, I won't watch those movies because of any depiction of organized crime. Yes, of course not. No. I can't believe they haven't been canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they'll cancel organized the mafia? Like, you guys are... Brutal bullies. <laughs> yes. With your threats. Well, they have to get on Twitter first. <laughs> yes. You that's... need a big Twitter f- presence. And then. I had to do something recently where I had to do an Italian, like an, an Italian. And I'm, it is one area. I don't know if they're getting upset yet. Right. Like if it's still okay to make fun of Italians. Or even the mafia. I thought that was the only thing we had left. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> you could fudge it and say, I'm doing a New Yorker. And it's like, no, you're doing an Italian, right, Italian American. Right. <laughs> Fred, so Los Spookies, yeah. I want to talk about too, because um, it's coming back for another season, which is yeah. exciting. I really like the show. Yeah, but it's, it's great. It's almost entirely in Spanish. So did you grow up speaking Spanish? Yeah. My, my oh, mom's great. Venezuelan. And um, she made sure that we all spoke Spanish and my relatives on her side, we, we all spoke Spanish. And 
I was in Venezuela a lot. I was just like, I want to do something in Spanish, but something that isn't about being Latino. Yeah. Something that wasn't like the American experience. It was, it was more like I wanted to forget about the cuisine <laughs> and all that stuff. I wanted gentrification. To, <clears throat> yeah. All that. The, I didn't even <laughs> want it to be about struggles. I thought it'd be cool if it was just about something a little more of what, what my experience was or, or when, you know, when I've been to also to Mexico where there's like an obsession with horror movies and horror and yeah. monsters, something in that zone, there was some elements of sort of fantasy and it was, it's like a little crazy, but based on the sort of goth world. Right. Did you co-create it with Julio Torres or? And uh, Anna Fabrega. Okay. Brilliant writers and performers and. Yeah, it's so well written. I just kind of like, I came up with the idea for the pilot and uh-huh. then they took over and made it 10 times bigger. I'm, I'm sorry, a thousand times bigger. They, <laughs> they turned it into like a real. Like a full universe. Yeah. 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 In a way, which is like what I like about working with other people and about, about being alive is that I never would have been able to think of the storylines they came up with. Right. So every time I open a script, I'm like, I never would have thought of this. Thank you. Great. It's got a life of its own. That's fantastic. Did you shoot a lot of it in Mexico? No, in Chile. Oh, cool. In Santiago. Oh, oh wow. That's great. We were going to shoot in Mexico and we couldn't. And then we did like a sort of online search of like, okay, where else can we shoot? Uh-huh. And Chile had the right kind of budget and the right environment. It just worked out. So we shot half of season two already. Then we had to stop. Oh. We had to stop. Wow. This was, you know, whatever, March. Right. And it was very like, um, it was things fell apart little by little. Right. Almost done with episode three. We're going to shoot the rest of this week. And then little things happened. We're like, yeah, like we might not be able to get back. (laughs) That that was what it was. It was like, we might not be able to get back. I think they're closing the borders. It became not fun. Those worries of, I don't know if I can get back into the country. Yeah. So we lost a day and then two. And then after a while, Everything closed and it's been kind of okay that we have all this footage and we have those episodes done and somehow everyone's got a good attitude about it in that mm-hmm. everyone's going through it. Yeah. So Anna and, and Julio, everyone's just like, well, we'll get back to it when we get back to it. Yeah. We, there's nothing we can do. This is way out of our hands. No. And, and you're right. Everyone's in the same boat. It's not, there's literally, there's nothing you could do about nothing it. Nothing we can do. So I assume they're going to wait until the, you finish shooting before the second season comes out, or are they going to release just those episodes? No, because it's only six episodes. So it's like, we're halfway done. Mm -hmm. That's like a British season. Yeah. Well, everything I do is very British. (laughs) (laughs) Everything. Well, Fred, this has been so, so fun. Oh, I don't know. We're not, this is so funny. We're not done yet. No, we're just starting. (laughs) No, no, we don't, we don't wrap things up. The reason we should do a couple hours is because people have the time I'm fascinating. Well, I didn't know how much time you had. If you have more time, we could keep talking to you. You're very thoughtful about comedy, which is always, it's so nice to meet people who are really, really just brilliantly funny, but then also thoughtful about it. You know, it's not like, oh, that person's just insane. So that's why they're so funny. That's very kind of you. (laughs) Wait, we have one more question, Fred, which we ask all of our guests, which is if you could give a piece of advice to someone who wants to do what you've done with your career, what would it be? Okay. So first thing is I'm going to try not to give an answer I've given before, because then I don't want my brain to go into like, I'm just going to ramble. I think it's okay to think of people you didn't want to be 
there's people along the way. I was like, I'm saying, you know, like just in their sort of like the kind of work that they did. I was like, I, that's not my thing. I like doing this other, for example, like regular stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. Yeah. If you feel like you're not succeeding in one at one thing, it's okay. If that that's not the right thing for you, where I would have felt like a failure. If I was like, I don't know how to do those jokes of, Hey, my parents are from, you know, different, mm-hmm. did, did you ever notice all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So if something isn't working, it's okay that it doesn't work. And it's okay to kind of take a left turn and try something else. I think it's important to be patient. Being impatient and thinking, I need that. That's, that was my gig. Don't do that to yourself. Yeah. I did a bunch of those and I'm like, I can't even remember what it was. Right. But I thought it was so important. <laughs> but at the time, that was, it was just yeah. the that most was important it. thing in the world. That's going to... Make or break. And hand in hand with that is being competitive with yourself, but not with other people. Never. You will lose that battle. Being competitive and all that. It'll just make you miserable. If anything, if there's someone who you think is your competition, just get to know them and, you know, learn from them and hang out with them and do work on something together. Right. See what that's like. And then stab them in the back. Yeah. Murder them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Fred, thank you so much. Thank you. really fun. You're just one of my favorite performers of all yes. time. That's very, very nice. I, I really to appreciate watch it. And one of the hardest working men, I think, in show. Yeah. Jeez, you guys. No, but seriously, you're, and you're, you're always in so many great shows and projects. Yeah. It's yeah. I think you do. You have a really good picker because you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You made my day. I really do appreciate it. That's very nice. Oh, well, that's very sweet. It's just true. All right, that was Fred Armisen. Oh, that was so fun. I really love him. We didn't even get to talk about some of the great shows he's on, uh, like uh, Documentary Now, and he also voices Elliot on Big Mouth, which is a great show. And there's going to be another season of Los Spookies, which I'm excited about. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to talk about that. I'd love the job the characters have for like one. I'd like to do it once, but I wouldn't want to have to keep. Oh, being being a, a professional creep. <laughs> well, I've always thought about those people who get jobs like at Not Scary Farm or, oh, right. uh, you know, the Halloween horror hayride people. Right. And how that would be really good if you were an actual murderer or a creep. Oh, yeah. It'd be a good cover. There's a haunted house in New Jersey where I grew up and uh, had tons of actors in it. And it was a giant hit. But then like gangs started going through it and just beating up, <laughs> beating up the monsters. And it's like, ah! oh, Jack the Ripper, huh? You think you're tough? Bam. Oh, you're a tough guy? Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, ah, we're, we're doing away with the actors. Yeah. Uh, we have a listener question. Oh, great. It's from Stephen H., Dear Jesse and Mike, I love hearing you both on the podcast and have been a fan of all things Conan since the very beginning in 93. Oh, man. Wow. That is a real fan. That's last century. I want to first address your lack of a celebrity showbiz partner name, like how Conan and Andy are famously known as Candy. I was thinking Messy. Wait, are they famously known as Candy? (laughs) I've never heard that. So he he wants to call us Messy? He wants to call us Messy, yes. Okay. I didn't know we needed a shortened name for us. Steven's question is, can you describe more about the writing process for the show, please? What's the life cycle of an idea from inspiration in the shower to Conan buffooning on camera? Are there writing partners or does everyone work independently? How does he know about the shower? <laughs> Do you ever think of stuff in the shower? Is that like, oh, your, yeah. like where are you are when you have to grind out an idea 
or you have the germ of an idea. Is there something you do to kind of prime the pump, like go for a hike or? I usually go for a walk. Yeah. I take the dog for a walk. What do you do? Well, walking is, I mean, there's so many articles about, you know, want to get your brain uh, working, go for a walk and walking's great. Or I go, I like to swim, but that's hard to do on a whim, but it's true. I, I, Sometimes I'll work things out in the shop. Like I'll just lose track of how many gallons of water I'm wasting. in the <laughs> You take three hour showers. Yes. Yes. I think that's a good question. Uh, the life cycle of an idea, in other words. So yeah, in the morning, I think he wants to know that we come in and we pitch. I mean, we used to go into an office and we would pitch the idea. Right. In the writer's meeting in the morning. In olden days. Now we do that over Zoom. Some ideas are topical and they have a very short shelf life. So they'd have to be done that day. And then others, uh, you know, can live on the the bulletin board for for years without ever getting done. Yeah. And if if it is topical, once the idea is greenlit, then things really start snowballing because you have to produce it for the 1.30 p.m. rehearsal. So that's not a lot of time. You immediately go into writing mode. And usually we are working on them individually. Although occasionally, if it's a real scramble, we'll get a few writers in an office to help. I think that helps to have a gang get together and bang out lines. Don't you think that helps speed it along? Oh, yeah. I I like writing as a group. Um, I prefer it. But usually we are alone. Yes. When you're alone banging out a script for that day, first, you're furious that they said, go do it. Because yeah, my favorite is if you pitch an idea and they go, oh, that's great, but there's no way we could get a tank, real tank here by 1 p.m. Oh, that's my favorite too. And, and then you're like- When it's a great idea, right. but there's logistical reasons why exactly. it can't be done. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's a, I'll, I'll, I'll suffer. Uh, but when you have to do it and then- you feel like someone's turning the arms of the clock while while you're trying to write the script. It's just like, it can't be noon already. Yeah, and you're also fielding phone calls from uh, the whole production staff because people are wanting to know, okay, what, what sort of actors do you need? What cost, What are the costumes? What are the props? What are, you know, if you need video clips or sound effects. Right. And so you're just picking up the phone every five seconds. Right. And also, and you're like, I don't know, the script isn't written yet. Right, right. <laughs> and that's when Andy decides to come in and shoot the shit. And you're just like, oh, uh, no, yeah. the, you haven't been in here in two weeks. And you're coming in the one day, I've got something. The reason everyone starts calling you is the first step is you get an idea greenlit. You have to send, we call it a heads up email to all the departments, giving them as many details as you can about what the bid is. And so then, yes, you're sitting there trying to write this script that has to be done in like 40 minutes. Everyone's either calling or knocking on the door at at finding out about props and wardrobe. And so you, you really have to multitask. Yeah. And then it goes to rehearsal, rehearsal with Conan, which is more of an audition really for the ideas than a rehearsal. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's Conan seeing things for the first time. Sometimes if it's an ambitious idea, I, the head writer will run it by him. So just cause if it's going to cost a, a lot of money to produce, or you kind of want to have his backing going into it. But a lot of times what you're saying is it's the first time he's hearing or seeing anything. So he just looks into the audience and sees that there's someone dressed like a (laughs) pirate and immediately he hates it. (laughs) There was, I I don't know what year it was. I bet you could pinpoint it if you wanted to, where he flipped, where it was like maybe the three millionth character dressed in an 
insane costume in the audience was showed up in rehearsal. And I think he just was like, okay, I can't take any more characters, please. All they do is interrupt. Uh, Conan. So they always interrupt and he always politely allows them to say their piece. That is my favorite thing. When, when, like you're saying, you'll see, you know, a pirate or something go, it start you know, crapping all over it before he's even rehearsed it. And you're just like, if you're the writer, and even if you're not the writer, you're just sitting there going, oh my God, this is going to be brutal. And But sometimes this sketch is so good, it you can see it win him over. Like a third of the way in. He'll stop fighting it, yeah. And then by halfway, he's on board and then he ends up loving it. And you're just like, it's coming from behind to win the game. Yeah. Time to quit. Go out on top. <laughs> um, occasionally Conan does have notes and usually his notes are very good and he'll have lines, you know, he'll throw out a line or something that is funny and you wish you had thought of. Yes. Because, and he, he really, we, we call it kind of like punching, punching up or, or bringing up a script and he's, a, he's a master of it and he does it effortlessly in rehearsal yeah. and it's sometimes in his head. Yeah. Sometimes it's stuff that's so you're like, it, you just said like, why didn't I think of that? Cause when he says it, it seems, it just seems very obvious and logical. You know, he used to, when I was head writer, if we're doing a sketch and he had a line in there that he wrote in rehearsal and it killed, he'd stop and look over at me and just smile. <laughs> during the taping of the show. And Cause you know, he's got to get his kicks, get his kicks where he can, yeah. where he can. And it, it became a running joke. So, you know, of course, if he suggested something and it didn't get a laugh, uh, it was never discussed again, but uh, we'd love more questions. We would, you can email us at inside at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at three, two, three, two, zero, nine, Five three zero three. Although I'd like to, we should hire live operators. That probably would be a waste of money. <laughs> I think that would be cost prohibitive. But it would be kind of fun to have an answering sir. Okay, well that's our show for the week. That's our show, and we'll see you next week. We like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Jen Samples. Engineered and mixed by Will Becton. Supervising producers are Kevin Bartelt and Aaron Blayart. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 